0: The one who saved me by his grace When he takes me by the hand And leads me through the promised land shall see and i look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand
1: Thanks. Well, that's good. Second Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to begin in verse 1, read through verse 7. It's kind of a rough, it's rough out there in the world we live in today and there's no doubt about it, it's a dangerous place. The question's been asked, what should you do if you're attacked by a group of clowns? <laughs> Go straight for the juggler. Trying to help you today. A cement mixer and a prison bus crashed on the highway. Police advised citizens to look out for a group of hardened criminals. (laughs) You know, I couldn't figure out why that baseball kept getting bigger. Then it hit me. I saw a movie about how ships are put together. I'll be honest, it was riveting. (laughs) Okay, that went over like a lead balloon. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning verse 1. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal to of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the son of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of firwood, even of harps and of psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God. And took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God smote him there for his error. And there he died by the ark of God. Father, we come to you. We thank you for this time that we have together in your house. We do pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts and that, Lord, we'd leave here encouraged from your word and inspired, Father, to obey and to ultimately follow you. Thank you, Father, for the Word of God and how you utilize things that happened in the past to reinforce truths as well as teach us new truths. Now, Father, may you just use what took place then to teach us something in order to protect us today. We thank you, Father, that you have included this particular account in the Bible. And Lord, now may it be a blessing and a help to us as we face each day of our life now be glorified in this place. And Lord, if there be any that have yet to receive and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they recognize their need to confess their sin before you, forsake it, and turn to you. Lord, we need you today. We love you, and we're asking for your leadership. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the ark's being taken out of the house of Abinadab, and it's being transported to the city of God, which is Jerusalem. 20 years prior to this, and 20 years earlier, in 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read about a tremendous and great battle that transpired and took place between Israel and the Philistines. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Ephah. In 1 Samuel 4:11, the Bible says, and the ark of God was taken. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. So during the battle, during this great battle, Eli's sons are killed. We know that ultimately upon hearing that the ark of God was taken by the Philistines, mind you, that Eli himself would fall backwards and snap his neck and die. Not only did the two sons of Eli die, but Eli himself died that day. And the ark of God, more than anything else, the greatest missing element was it. It was now gone. It was no longer in Israel. It was held captive by the Philistines. For seven months, the Philistines would hold on to the ark. For seven months, they would transport it around. For seven months, they thought that it was like a good luck charm. Unfortunately for them, it wasn't a good luck charm. God sent a curse to them. And the Bible calls The fact that they, uh, tells us that they began to have hemorrhoids. And sometimes people would say that those are hemorrhoids. And I'm sure these were bad ones. Because it got to the point where they themselves wanted to return the ark of God back to Israel. And they did do that. So seven months they held on to the ark. And after seven months it came back to Israel. And they sent some things with it, some all kind of things and put it in the ark and just crazy stuff. Now, here's the thing. The ark ends up in Abinadad's house. It's been in Abinadad's house for 20 years. Abinadad has two sons, of course, and we read about them, Ahio and Uzzah. At least these two sons are the sons of his that we read about. Now, I think it's very interesting to note that Abinadad is the second-born son to Jesse. That means, therefore, that he is the brother of David. He is David's older brother. And he somehow obtained the ark, and now it rests in his home. Twenty years later, David is now king. And we're going to see in chapter 5 of 2 Samuel that a a great battle once again took place. Israel defeats the Philistines. Israel brings them down hard. And now David decides it's time to bring the ark back. And so he goes to Abinadad and says, Hey, brother, it's time to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, the city of God, where it belongs. And so the ark is placed on a new cart. You'll recall that the Philistines transported it 20 years earlier on a cart, and it ended up in Abinadad's house. And now David and the Israelites place it on a new cart, and they're going to transport it to Jerusalem. David gathers his chosen men, 30,000, and he chooses, and he has the others that have gone along with him. And so there's this tremendous group of people that now are with the ark as it makes its way to Jerusalem. The sons of Abinadad, Uzzah and Ohio, uh, uh, Ohio they, they, they've been caring for the ark all along, so now we're going to give them the responsibility of caring for it in transportation. Ohio goes before it, Uzzah's there beside it. So what went wrong? I think it's important to realize that God likes things done a certain way a very specific way. The men of Israel had actually ignored some very explicit instructions from God concerning the transportation of this ark. David as well, he himself has obviously forgotten, or as we're going to see, maybe he thought he was doing God a favor. I don't know. But the Bible teaches us that God said that only the priests, the sons of Levi, were to bear the ark of the covenant. In Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse eight, the Bible says, "At that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister unto him and to bless His name unto this day." Uzzah and Ahiah, Ohio oh, I want to say Ohio all the time, Ahio, may have been stewards of the ark for 20 years, but can I tell you what they weren't? They weren't priests. God also instructed that the ark was to be carried upon their shoulders. The Bible says in Numbers, it says, "But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none oxen and carts, because the service of the sanctuary belongeth unto them, belonging unto them was that they should bear upon their shoulders." He said, "I didn't give them ox, I didn't give them carts to to take care of that business. I gave them strong shoulders. They're to bear the ark and that they bear those 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 things on their shoulders." Also, nobody other than Aaron and his sons was to touch any holy articles at all, including the ark. Couldn't touch the ark. The penalty for violating this law, Numbers 4.15 tells us, and when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. Now, again, in this Old Testament, we're seeing that God has made and expressed some very clear and careful instructions concerning this ark how it's to be transported, how it's to be cared for. God told Moses to equip the ark with four rings. You'd see this ark, so to speak, say it's a square object here. There's on each corner, there is a ring. And through those rings, basically a stick will pass. It's called a stave. It's longer, of course, than the ark itself so that these, these priests can come up underneath it. And there they bear on their shoulder this ark. And they lift it off the ground and they carry it. So there are two basic points that God found very unacceptable in the transportation of the ark. One, Uzzah was not in the Levitical priesthood. It wasn't a priest. And two, instead of having the ark carried, it had been put on a new cart. So it was not handled the way God intended it to be handled. They neglected the clear word of God, the very simple truths that God had given them the instructions that he had provided. They neglected his instruction. But what a sight it was. Maybe they thought to themselves at some point, I guess they could have just downright forgotten about it. I don't know. Maybe they didn't read the Bible. Maybe the priest didn't think they had a right to tell David, let's not put it on a new cart because I don't think God would be pleased. I'm not sure. Maybe David himself even thought, man, I'll tell you what, this is the ark of God and it represents the presence of God and I want to make it a big, big shindig. I want it to be big, really big. And so he gathers his 30,000 soldiers and he gets all those people from all walks of life and the king himself is marching along and the music's playing and man, I mean, it's fanfare. And he probably, maybe even thought, look at how wonderful this is. Look at how big we've made this. Look at how important it all is. But it wasn't the way God intended it to be. And then the unthinkable happens. The ark is shaken. And of course, in an attempt to steady the ark, Uzzah, who has been probably for 20 years now looking over and watching over the ark, thinks, I can't allow it to fall. He reaches up to steady it, and boom, the next scene. We see Uzzah lying dead on the ground and a devastated wife and fatherless children grieving over his loss. Doesn't seem fair, does it? Just doesn't seem fair. How many times in your life and in mine we're doing what we think we should be doing. We convinced ourselves this is exactly what I should be doing. This is how I ought to be doing it. And then things don't turn out the way we think they should. And if we're not careful, we think, that's really unfair. I'm giving God my best. I'm doing everything I know to do. I'm trying with all my heart. And yet God treats me this way. Or God takes a loved one from me. Can you imagine how his wife and children felt? Can you imagine how David felt? This is his nephew. This is his brother's son. I'm sure he felt responsible for his death. That's why the Bible says he was wroth. He was upset. He was angry at God. Can I tell you that you've been angry at God maybe? I know I've been angry at God at one point in my life. Can I tell you, that's a dangerous place to be if you've ever been there. But sometimes we believe God owes us something. But I've you this. If we fail to know what God wants if we're not willing to find out what he says, then we put ourselves in a position where God cannot always bless us the way he intends. God never wanted Uzzah to die that day. God never wanted that process to stop. And for three months after he died, it would once again remain idle. It would go back into storage, so to speak, for three months. All because it wasn't handled biblically the first time. Preacher, I I believe, I I know I probably should be doing things different, but I've got, me and God got an understanding. Well, I know that I don't discipline the way the Bible says in my home, but you know what? It doesn't work for me. Oh, I know that me and my wife, we do things a little different than the Bible outlines and lays out. We don't have the same kind of thing. Oh, our standards are different than what the Word of God teaches. And oh, I tell you this, and I mean this, and I'll, I'll tell you I'm doing my best, and I'm really trying hard. I know, but I'm asking you this. Are you doing it God's way? That's That's what I want to know. I'm not asking you what kind of results are you getting today because sooner or later somebody may just reach up and God may say, ooh, went too far. Never intended for that to be that way. You're going to have consequences in your life. I'll have consequences in mine if we fail to do things God's way. So what are some things we can learn from this situation? What are some thoughts? What are some principles maybe... I don't know, ideas that we can take away from this tragic event. I'm going to give you just a couple of things very quickly today. Number one, good intentions are not enough. Good intentions are not enough. I'll tell you what, Uzzah had all the best intentions that day. Man, I mean to tell you, he was there to protect and care for the ark. Praise God for that kind of spirit and attitude. Man, he didn't have a, 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 a wicked his his Probably his mind, his body was consecrated unto the Lord at that point. He had done all that he could to be prepared and ready to transport that ark. He didn't mean anything bad by it. He may not have even been aware of that truth. He may not have ever read that portion of Scripture. He may not have been taught that at some point in his life. I don't know. All I know is that he didn't do exactly what God had decided and the means by which God had made to transport the ark. And when he touched that holy thing, he died. Just like that. Man, he had good intentions. It's just not fair. I know. It doesn't seem that way, does it? And from our human perspective, I agree. And then David. Again, I can't say for sure whether he just downright disobeyed the Word of God or whether he wasn't aware of it. I don't know 100%. The Bible doesn't really say for sure. What I do know is that he either allowed for the ark to be carried by a new cart? Or maybe he suggested it. I don't know. Maybe he is the leader, obviously. He should have been the one to step in and say, wait a second, guys. Hold on. This is big time. I've had the the priest looking into this, and there's no way. I don't care how wonderful the new model is. It doesn't matter how sweet it looks. It doesn't matter how modern it's become. I, I can't let you use a new cart. But maybe he thought, Man, I, God deserves the best that we have. God deserves the best card. Man, he needs the most, the newest way to travel. Man, I mean, this thing has shocks out of this world, man. I mean, that thing won't even budge. It'll, bat, it'll just, it's air shocks. It won't rattle it at all. It'll be taken care of. It'll be no doubt it'll come, arrive safely there. I don't know. He had good intentions, I would imagine. I can't really think of any reason why David would want to do something that just went against God's word. He probably thought he was really, really doing it right. Good intentions are not enough. Number two, with that said, the easiest way isn't always God's way. The easiest way isn't always God's way. You know, there's this saying, there's this thought that seems to prevail. I've been hearing it since I was young, but it was work smart, not hard. And you know what? It's a motto that's often repeated, and for good reason, mind you. there, There is good reason to repeat that. But in this case, the only smart move is to work hard. I mean, putting it on a new cart may have seemed a lot easier and less difficult and certainly didn't involve as many people. I don't know if they had a worker shortage like we do in America right now. I don't know if they had a problem like the local church normally has in getting workers to step in to certain roles. Let's be honest. I mean, there's certain things everybody would be willing to do, but that nursery's not one. There's some things we'll do, but not that bus ministry. You know what I'm saying? We like to pick and choose where we serve God. We're not really servants. We're simply Willing to do what's comfortable. A true servant's willing to do whatever's needed. You say, I'm a servant. Are you? You doing whatever needs nothing? Anything that'll need done. Just I'll do whatever you need. Man, listen, I'm going to football camp this week. Can I tell you, somebody, Brother Robidoux asked me, he said, Are you looking forward to football camp, preacher? And I said, Not really. Hold on. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. I said, Not really. I said, I'm not really a big fan of leaving home. I kind of like being close to the house. I like being around my wife and family. I, I, I'm not a fan of traveling really that much unless it's with my wife. Maybe that's why the Lord spared me. I don't preach anywhere. Nobody asked me, so maybe the Lord knows I won't like it. <laughs> Here's what I said to him, though. I said, but you know what I do enjoy about football camp more than anything else? Me and my sons or my son, whoever gets to go with me, we get to room together all week and we get to draw close together. We get a chance to spend time together and create memories together. I said, now that I look forward to. I received a text today, this week. said I was rooming in the same place I always room. My son got a text and he said he's rooming somewhere else. My first reaction was, you know what? Forget these guys. My days are numbered. I mean, the flesh, right? And Then it hit me. We're praying. My son's praying. And he says, well, how is it he put it? Sometimes, Lord, we like to take things into our own hands. Oh, let's not take things into our own hands. And the Holy Spirit said, you're trying to take things into your own hands. Maybe I got a bigger purpose than you just getting along with your son for a week. Maybe there's somebody else that needs you. Maybe there's some situation. Maybe they know what they're doing. Would you- Could you even imagine that for a moment? And the Holy Spirit smote my spirit, and I thought, you know what? I go there to be a servant every year. I say, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then they decide to switch up my rooming arrangement, and I'm really to give it up. You get where I'm going now? I wouldn't have probably given it up over that 100%. Just if it had done it next year, I would have. <laughs> but I realized I'm not there on my terms, I'm there on theirs. I'm a servant. Who am I to, to, to question the room? Now, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. "Hey, Hey, guys, maybe you made a mistake. You forgot my son's coming, right? They <laughs> said, no, we got, no, this, we, we intended that. All right, good. Do you understand where I'm going with this, though? It's easy to be a servant when it's the way you want it. But you know what? Obedience to the Lord isn't always easy. God has something for me this week that I didn't expect. God has something for my son this week he didn't expect. He's probably happy. I'm not. (laughs) But the easy way isn't always God's way. See, we know that struggle produces strength. And it's the kind of strength we need to win in this this battle we call the Christian life. Storms in our life and difficulties tend to, to mold us and make us Henry Ward Beecher, he relates a story from his youth. When he was just a young kid, he he said, while I was in school, he he remembered being upon a mountain and watching a storm as it come up the valley. When I say kid, I'm talking about late high school years, early college years. He said, the heavens were filled with blackness and the earth was shaken by the voice of thunder. It seemed as though that fair landscape was utterly changed and its beauty gone, never to return. But the storm swept on and passed out of the valley if I had sat in the same place on the following day, he said. Excuse me, he said, and let me go back because I, I just said a word wrong, which will change how this reads. But the storm swept on and passed out of the valley. And if I had sat in the same place as the following day and said, where is that terrible storm? With all its terrible blackness. The grass would have said, part of it is in me. And the daisy would have said, part of it is in me. And the fruits and flowers and everything that grows out of the ground would have said, part of the storm is incandescent in me. A blessing is in the storm if we're willing to look for it. and There'll be fruit in the afterward. There is nothing easy about raising children. It demands hard work. Not only to provide for them physically, but also to work to see them perfected, to see them disciplined. That's not easy work at times. But God has ways, and he intends for that difficulty to ultimately produce something positive. Marriage can be hard work. We have to deny ourselves. We have to die to selfishness. And that's not always easy. It's rarely easy. But it's in that battle that we gain the strength we need to overcome not just things in our marriage but things in life any athlete knows that strain and pain are needed to build the muscles needed to win so we note here from our passage that good intentions aren't enough the easy way isn't always God's way boy it sure seemed smart to use a new cart it sure seemed like the easiest way but can I tell you it wasn't the right way Number three, when as leaders we fail to follow God's commands, others pay the price. When as leaders we fail to follow God's commands, others pay the price. So David, he goes up to bring the ark to Jerusalem, but he does it the wrong way. For whatever reason, he does it the wrong way. He neglects the word of God, he fails to follow through with the way God intended it to go forward. Again, there's four rings on uh, the corners of that ark. There's staves that are to be placed through those rings, and there's priests who are to carry the ark on their shoulders. That's the way God intended it. But that's not how it was done. We note the same process as they carried the ark through the wilderness. The Kohathites would once again gather and underneath those staves lift their legs and carry that ark through the wilderness. We see as they cross over over Jordan into the, the promised land, we see them carrying the ark just as God had ordered and commanded. And all went so well. But unfortunately, a leader failed to follow God's commands. When a leader fails to follow God's commands, others pay the price. By the way, Dad, you're a leader. Mom, you're a leader. You say, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. Little ones are watching. You're a shift manager. You're a leader. I don't care where you work. You're still over people you're... And, and today, we're not, did I say something wrong politically? Incorrect your over people. But anyway, because we're all equal playing today, right? No bosses anymore. Nobody's in charge. That's sure the case. But anyway, you didn't get that one, did you? It went right over your head. I would say it went over your head because I'm taller than you, but I'm not. But I am standing higher than you. Okay, okay. moving on. Tough crowd today. <laughs> But David's neglect came with a great price. Again, mom and dad, are you following God's commands as best you can? And listen, I'm not talking about best you can when you know you're doing it wrong. I'm talking about you know what's right and you're doing the best you can to do what's right. Because I've known people who said, well, this is the best I can do. I know it doesn't measure up to God's standard, but I'm just doing the best I can. Well, then keep working to do it God's way. That's not your best if you're not trying. Proverbs 22 4 says this, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 1 and 2, my son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. Boy, that's what we're looking for as parents. That's what we're looking for as bosses. That's what we're looking for as pastors. That's what we're looking for in every area of leadership. We want to bring length of days, long life, peace, to those who God has put it into our charge, into our watch care. But when leaders fail to follow God's commands, others pay the price. So we learn: one, good intentions aren't enough. The easiest way isn't always God's way. When, as leaders, we fail to follow God's commands, others pay the price. Number four, new is not always better, or what pleases the Lord. New is not always better. Or what pleases the Lord. You know, I'm really saddened to look at an older generation today who somehow has been strong armed or coerced or manipulated into believing somehow that they have to compromise what they have done their whole lives in order to see the young people saved. That bothers me. Because, see, last time I checked, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not saying that we can't have some new things, but can I tell you this? When new things don't align or measure up to God's standard as it always has been. Is it, this never changes, by the way. When it doesn't line up, when it doesn't measure up too, then a new thing isn't a good thing. I, I grow weary of churches who have Thrown their uh, have have taken and set their drum sets on their stage and put girls in miniskirts up there and guys up there and you know tank tops and if I dressed like that we'd have people pouring in this place. <laughs> Can you imagine with me? Let's take our Bibles as I point to Deuteronomy chapter three. And the Lord is strong. (laughs) People would be flocking to this place to get an exhibition of that molten mass of muscle. I don't know why you're laughing. I'm not. (laughs) But it does. It bothers me. You say, well, yeah, but things have to change. Yeah, they do, but they better change within the parameters of the Word of God. We do not have the privilege of stepping outside of the Bible and thinking God's blessing will be on us. David tried it. It didn't work. You know, you got rock and roll on the platform. You got rap and country that's perfectly fine as long as it's implanted with a biblical theme today. You say God a few times and Jesus, and then you're good doesn't matter what the, the, the context of the music is. doesn't matter whether it feeds the flesh or not. All that matters is that it's appealing because what matters is people getting saved at all costs. But sadly enough, our churches have turned into fish bowls. We just keep swapping fish, but nobody seems to be coming to Christ. And yet we continue to have the new and improved versions. Isn't it interesting, years ago, and it was pointed out to me in discipleship the other day by who I was discipling, we talked about new and improved, and they said, but if it's improved, it can't be new. Yeah. New and improved. Well, it can't be new if it's improved, because if it, you can't improve something that's not new, that's new. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that's pretty good insight. <laughs> I never thought of that, but... You say, what's that have to do with the message? I have no idea, but I thought it was a great, great thought. We have churches doing away with services in order to accommodate the busy and hectic lifestyles of members. And yet the Bible says that we're to gather all the more as you see the day approaching. You say, hey, you think Jesus might be coming back soon? Yeah. So how often do you go to church now? Once a week, if that. You don't believe that then. Or you're just being disobedient to the word of God. Forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the man our son is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Eye's right, he's coming back. Then let's get with the word of God. You want God's blessing in your life? Let's obey it. Thank you, preacher. You're such a blessing. And again, we we like to look at David and we say, man, he made a real blunder. You don't think we don't? We all do at times. We sometimes neglect God's written word. We've got to be careful. We're removing the altar call. Why? Because we're feeling it embarrasses or causes people to feel uncomfortable. I read an article just this week where one of the things they said is, don't invite people to come forward in your church anymore. That's old school. That's that's no longer going to produce any positive results. Yeah, I see what it's producing, Having, not having it. Yeah. And you know what? There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to walk to this altar and get on your knees and bow down here. I know that. I know that your altar, legitimately, you can meet with God anywhere you want, anytime you want. I get that. I do. I understand that. Some of the greatest decisions I've ever made in my life were made at an altar. It's funny today. You know, it's, it's interesting. We say things like, well, I don't need to go to an altar to do that. I can do that on my own. What, 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 what's this about doing everything on our own these days? I thought we needed God to do things. It kind of seems like we're getting more independent all the time. Not just independent in ourselves, but independent on God. Man, we don't even, listen, today, I tell my kids this all the time. I bore you so that when I'm in diapers, you can change them. Oh, you're going to take care of me one day because I took care of you. What is wrong in our culture and our society today where kids are growing up and saying, forget about mom and dad? Because it's all selfish. It's all about me now. Where in the world are your kids? I don't know. They won't come around. They won't call me. They won't be there for me. What in the world is going on with our generation today that doesn't want to be there for the very ones who sacrifice for them? It's called a selfish, self-centered society. He say, but there's some things they can't do. I get that. I do get that. And there are times that it is absolutely necessary that you have to take those and make those tough decisions. I get that. I understand that. But boy, we have been become so independent and so self-sufficient and so about. Man, I, I, I think we're in dangerous places today. And I think it's affecting our spiritual lives. Isn't that funny? I'm just going to say it. The um, Pharisees like to point out that they didn't have time to take care of their parents. They were too busy in the work of God. He said, really? Have you ever read my word? Don't tell me you're giving your money and your time to the work, but you can't provide for your family. Well, they're not my family. I've got my own family, and they got theirs. I'm sorry, but I'm on one of my pet peeves now, and it's bothering me as I'm watching people grow older in our church, and I'm seeing that families are ditching their families. It bothers me. I hope that bothers you. I hope it bothers you to no end, that one day you'll pick up the phone and call your parents. One day you'll take a step over there and deal with it. One day you'll say, you move in with me if you have to. But I'm not going to go to the next one, because you really hate me if I say the next thing I'm going to say. It's sad, though, isn't it? I don't know. It's just something that bothers me. Especially as I'm getting older, it's really bothering me to think that. No, (laughs) but anyway. (laughs) I better start preaching it now, because these guys better learn. (laughs) Good intentions aren't enough. The easiest way isn't always God's way. When leaders fail uh, to follow God's commands, others pay the price. And new is not always what better or what pleases God. Finally, let me just end here. Obedience is the very best way to honor God. It's just real simple. There's nothing complicated about this. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing it simply as the Lord commands. Doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Yes, sir! Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Never settle for anything less than what God demands or wants. You may feel that you can't measure up, and you may be right, and truthfully so will I feel that way at times. But don't give up and don't quit. Keep striving to please God. Keep working at obeying God. In 2 Samuel six thirteen, and it was so that when they bear the ark of the Lord, they gone six paces. He sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David... He figured it out after that horrible situation, after losing his nephew, after probably receiving the wrath of his brother, after recognizing that God was not pleased at all with him or the people or the way they transported the ark. He said, you priests better get ready. I hope you've been working out because you're going to carry that ark all the way. And they picked it up and they took six steps. One, two, three, four... Five, six. I don't know if they set the ark down or stood there, but then they would offer an oxen, a sacrifice to God. All right, fellas. For what? Ho! Offer another oxen. He made sure he did it God's way that time. Can I tell you, the ark got there safely. Can I tell you, they were blessed because of its presence. And Boy, when we obey God, it will bring blessing. But we don't get to choose how we do it. We've got to do it his way. and i don't know about you but it seems to me that these were people that were operating from a position of sincerity they honestly thought they were doing it god's way even they had been either taught that this was how you do it they've been told that this is how you do it they've somehow gotten the idea through a blog or through somebody's through somebody's post that this is how you serve god the only problem was it wasn't the God of the Bible they were serving. There are going to be plenty of folks that are sincerely wrong at the great white throne judgment. People that believe their faith is just as good as yours. Equal to. Can I tell you, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is not enough to know there's a God in heaven. You must acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You have to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, Understand he died for you, he paid for your sin. It will not be your deeds or your works or your goodness that will ultimately outweigh the bad. No, there's no good enough. It's either all Jesus or nothing. That's right. See, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We are confronted by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and our sin is made clear to us. We recognize our guilt before Him who is perfect and holy, And we know that there has to be something changed, something different in our life. And he says, Call upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me tell you, you're going to walk into a relationship and a life with Jesus Christ by calling on him, by trusting and receiving him, by acknowledging him as your Lord and Savior that you never dreamed possible. It's wonderful, but it's only found in Jesus. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. I don't have to worry. I used to read chapter 7 of Matthew and I'd go, man, I hope that's not me one day. I'd read it. Man, I hope that's not me. I hope I don't get there one day before the Lord and find out that all along I've been doing something or serving a God that I didn't even realize I was serving. I I, I don't want to hear him say, I never knew you. And I tell you, if you'll come to Jesus the way the Bible says, if you'll follow his word, if you'll truly receive and accept Christ, when the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction in your life, and so in just a few moments, there may be some of you in this crowd who you're going to stand there and think, man, I don't want to go forward. And some will be telling you, you need to get saved. You need to settle it today. And you'll be like... Ah. I still don't do that now. I, I mean, I, I'm a good person, and I, I, I mean, I, I, know, I know some Christians, and I, I'm okay right now, I'm fine. And, and I, I'm religious, I mean, I go to church even, and I, I read my Bible the best I can, and I do that, but the Holy Spirit's going, you need to settle it, you need to settle it, you need to get it handled right now. If you obey the Lord, the Bible says, the foundation of God stand sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his, let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. He'll know you if you'll call on him the way he says to just say, you know what, Lord, I can't get there without you. You're the only way, the truth, and the life. I asked you to save me, forgive me, and come into my life. Without you, I will perish. He'll hear your cry. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what, you don't have to worry about being one of those in Matthew 7, then. You don't ever have to worry about that. But you have to come to Him His way, the Bible way. You're coming to the God that is described, explained, and outlined in the word of God. Not the God of your choosing, not the God of your making. The God that gave you this book and describes who and what he is all about. May God help you to come to Christ if you haven't already. If you haven't settled your soul salvation, do it today. And if you're a child of God today and you want God's blessing in your life, then you must do things God's way. I don't care how you feel about it. It doesn't matter how much you convince yourself it's not necessary or needful. Do what God says and God will reward you accordingly. Father, we come to you. We thank you for just all you've done for us. Lord, we're grateful. Lord, today in the crowd, there may be folks that have dismissed the word of God in some area. Oh, they may be holding on to it in every other area, but there might be that one that they just won't acknowledge it, they won't accept it, they won't obey it. Lord, I pray that, Father, today your Holy Spirit would bring conviction in their life and show them their need to settle that in their life, to do things the way you said, and then trust you with the outcome, no matter how or what anyone else or anything else has to say about it, just simply to obey you. I don't know, Lord. I'm sure that David had pressure on him, maybe even was told, you need to use these new carts. They're the best thing ever. Lord, as a leader, he needed to know how to transport it, and he should have said, no, we're going to do it God's way. Even if it costs us time, even if it costs us money, even if it costs us effort, we're going to do it God's way. Even if it's difficult, even if I take criticism from all of you, I'm going to do it God's way because that's what honors him. Father, help us, Lord. And what honors him always honors us in the end. Maybe you're lost today. Lord, there's so many people lost. I pray, dear God, that they would come to you, that they wouldn't sit in their seat, that they would make their way forward and allow someone to take a Bible and show them how to be saved today. We'll thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The music's playing.